despite the fact that the lights can get very bright sometimes and the darkness can get very dark in one's life, reality is not black or white. And that's one of the difficulties that people have in handling reality. They want things to be clear, this or that. And it's not that way. Take, for example, the concept of God. Very slippery concept. And at the highest levels of this spiritual journey, it's a huge obstacle to believe in God. And yet to get to someone to stop believing in God is very difficult because they're attached to this. It's blasphemy if you've believed all your life in God and you find out there is nobody up in that cloud with a beard or, or divine monkey or uh, whoever it is, right? And if there is one, you've got to kill him, right? If you meet the Buddha on the road, you've got to kill him. That's why I stay off the roads a lot, because someone could mistake me for that. But it's, it's very difficult to get someone from the imaginary state of duality, multiplicity, to the realization of non-duality. And yet for that ultimate state of health, one must find internally what one had projected out there, in some, whether physical out there or subtle out there, to in here. But conversely, at the lower levels of the journey, or let's say within the ego consciousness, it's actually very unhealthy if you can't believe in God. And I've worked with many people over the years who can't, although they say they don't, they actually can't. And when you analyze more deeply what the issue is, you find out that not only can't the person believe in God, but the person cannot believe in love. And that's really the issue. Because, you know, in the West, it's very clear God is love has become a cliché. But this is also true in the East, although love is understood in a very different way. And we have to make the distinction between desire, the chakra two version of love, or attachment, security, holding on to someone, possessiveness from chakra one anxieties, or hostile dependency of chakra three, or any other version of pseudo-love. And many people have never experienced love as a reality, so they can't believe in it. But you find that the people who can't believe in God, even though they may know that God is real, not that God exists, because you have to make the distinction between existence and being. Okay, This, this distinction, again, talk about the black and white problem, has, uh, has been lost in the West since the, the beginning of the modern era, since Descartes. Ironically, it was rediscovered in the field of philosophy by a Nazi philosopher named Martin Heidegger, again, whose girlfriend was a Jewish philosopher named Hannah Arendt. So life is not black or white, is it? But because of this misconception or misunderstanding between existence and being, Uh, we have lost touch with the ability to find love in our hearts because we have been living at the level of an existent person, not within our true being. So the reason you can't believe in God or in love is because you don't believe in yourself. And there's a self-loathing and an agony and a torment in most people because they feel like an imposter. And their heart is broken because they haven't experienced 
love in the true sense. And people in that state are tormented even if they know that someone, let's say their wife or their husband or girlfriend or whatever, loves them. They know it intellectually, but they can't feel it. And, and it destroys them inside, but that devastation also has to be repressed usually, and then it wells up as a psychosomatic disorder because the psychosoma conversion factor is very strong within the ego. The psyche being the digital code and the body being the analog code as we're studying now in the biosemiotics book in the permaculture class. And so, so long as these, this code duality exists and it is alienated from the reality of love, then there is a lack and an emptiness that torments one, but that one can't grasp, one can't understand, and therefore one can't master it or fill that sense of emptiness. And so people try to do it professionally. Some will go out and become a heart specialist and try to heal a broken heart in the physical level. But of course, the physical heart is not the source of love. So others will become psychotherapists and try to deal with it at that emotional level, but that isn't it either. And that's why you have so many therapists who end up in a state of burnout. You know, the suicide rate among psychotherapists and psychiatrists is one of the highest of any profession. They haven't found the heart either. Others even take it to the religious level and it doesn't work. You know, if you've read the, um, the, 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 the unpublished letters of Mother Teresa that were published after she died, she was in a state of barrenness inside. She was tormented. She didn't feel the love of God. Even though she used what uh, uh, is called the performativity paradox to try through an act of service, a life of divine service, of, of trying to feel it by enacting being a great loving being, but still it doesn't work. The, that paradox alone, although it's a good adjunct and a supplement to the inner search, but it, it doesn't act as a substitute for it. And so we're in a time in which there is an eclipse and an exile from the real of love and the real of everything that God symbolizes out there, but that we cannot find in here, and we must learn to integrate it by finding it within. And this requires that we gain a, a point of reference that is outside of the ego, but that is not located in the world. Okay, because most people are living in a dyad. There is myself and there is the world. The world is this multiplicity of objects and it turns out the self is also a multiplicity. There are many fragments of I. One eye likes this, the other eye likes that, the other eye wants to flee from everything. All of these different feelings that chaotically come up and one can't remain either with object constancy or like I like that person, but no, maybe I like that one or maybe I like that one. And one can't unify one's object, nor can one unify one's subjectivity. There's a chaos on both sides. So one needs to find a third point outside of the ego, but not in the world, not projected into another, because then you find yourself enmeshed in a very unhealthy, volatile uh, relationship of desire. But this third point that is, has to be at right angles to both the world and the ego has been traditionally referred to as God. But what we mean by that is a higher level of being than the ego represents. It is the supreme level of being. We don't think of being as a being. God is not an entity. 
uh, or you can use the word Buddha nature if you're allergic to God. It doesn't matter. It is that level of consciousness that's not localizable as a person in an organism. It's not in time or space. And so one has to localize oneself in a non-localizable way. Very difficult for the conscious mind to grasp that wants everything to be very concrete. But the reality is not only does God not exist, but you don't exist either. And yet you are. But you have to separate the existent self that's chaotic and trying to find itself in this world through holding on to other people or hating other people or whatever is one's method of choice. But none of it works. And so one has to find oneself within. But how do you get within? And this is where dreams come in. They are a natural method that is given by that consciousness that you're looking for to say, hey, I'm here. And it, it happens almost every night if you're willing to receive the message. Again, you're getting a digital message from a consciousness that is higher than your conscious mind. And it's giving you a snapshot of what's going on in the lower unconscious mind. So if you can consciously identify and, and interpret your dream, you can integrate the superconscious or the unconscious with the conscious. And then you have an axis that will lead you to that point that we can call God or Buddha nature or nirvana or whatever you want to call it, X. It doesn't matter. But until we reach that point, which is the heart, Sri Ramana used to call it the heart, uh, you are in a state of a search that, that cannot be understood. It's a nameless search. But it's a search for the self. And everyone's in the search for the self, even though they don't know it, until they have found this point of the heart. And that's what we're doing in meditation. The problem for the religious person who's looking for it out there, even in a, let's say, a God figure, not a, a figure of sexual desire or something else, is that it will, again, take you outside of the self into duality. People used to do this with Ramana Maharshi, who was one of our patron sages. They used to come to his ashram and sing songs about God, and he got very intolerant of this. One day they were singing, it went on for hours, Oh God, you are my father, God, you are my mother, God, you are my beloved. He finally got up and he said, Will you stop already? Just say, God, you are myself, and be done with it. <laughs> but nobody wants to do that. They want to, they want to hold on to someone else, let someone else be the God, because if you find the God within, you have to become very responsible, don't you? And you can no longer play the games that the ego likes to play. So it's a state of psychological autonomy and integration that requires a great deal of truthfulness to reach that state that has been called God consciousness. And this is not something imaginary. It doesn't come out of a belief system. In fact, it comes from letting go of all belief systems. It can only happen when one has freed oneself from mental slavery, as I think was sung tonight. Freed oneself from any attachment to any creed or dogma or anything outside oneself and has found the inner point of silence, the real refuge, from which one can begin to live a free life. And that free life will be lived not from a center of personal desire any longer. You will discover at that moment that you've gone beyond desire and beyond fear and beyond duality. 
and that there is a natural state that emerges of love for all beings because one recognizes at this higher dimension that all the beings that seemed to be different are all like figures in a dream. And every figure in your dream is yourself. Every figure, every being in this world that is a dream is oneself, the self. And then there are no more barriers to love or communication or relationship. And there's no more longing or nostalgia for some lost being because every being is the self. It isn't just the girlfriend who left you behind 10 years ago who is the self that you've projected on. It's everyone. And most of all, it's your own self. Please, don't try to find it outside. And once you can do that, you are free to live as a transmitter of love, not just a seeker of it, or a refuser of it, or a denier of it, or a cynical uh, curmudgeon who refuses to even tolerate the idea. No, you are free then to make your life into a beautiful fruition in which love is experienced and is given in the form of creative expression. And one lives without the fear of death, without the fear of uh, being lost in an empty, cold universe. All of those terrors that beset the ego dissolve in a single instant. And that's all we're doing in meditation, but to achieve it we must silence the chattering mind that tries to keep us from being aware of the anxieties that are there below the surface and then don't allow us to penetrate through that shadow into the light of the self. So don't be held back by your fear of any anxiety or depressive feelings. Go through them, go beyond them, because they are not the self. They are just mental clouds. Go to the source of consciousness and then stay in the source of consciousness, the light, until the clouds are burned away forever and be free.